when was the last time you really rejoiced? I don't mean allowed yourself a small chuckle or took a moment for a deep breath. When is the last time you really rejoiced? It's not really a word I think that we use that much in our daily lives, is it? It's not like it's unfamiliar. It's not one of those churchy words that we don't hear in regular everyday English like justification or sacraments. It's a word people know, but we don't use it that much in our everyday speech. Why is that? Could it maybe be that we're not that good at it? A few years ago, Julia and I sang in a community choir that was getting ready for a Christmas concert. And we had a children's choir joining with us for some of the songs. And they were rehearsing a solo verse that the director had assigned two children to sing together. But it was a little too quiet. And so the children's choir director decided to add a third voice. Amy, she said, you know this part, right? Amy, why don't you sing it along with them? And Amy went, yes! And I thought, this kid knows how to rejoice. And I found myself wondering how I, or how a lot of us adults might have responded in that situation. Anxiety? What if I screw this up? False humility, maybe? Ah, oh, shucks, teacher, not me. I'm not good enough for that. Or pride? Trying our hardest not to look excited or pleased? Uh, sure, I'll sing it. I do stuff like this all the time. Whatever it is, I, I imagine many of us would have to admit that we'd have a hard time letting ourselves indulge in the pure, simple fullness of celebration the way Amy did. Yes! Today is the third Sunday of Advent, a day that is sometimes called Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for rejoice, the Sunday of rejoicing. We're just past the halfway point of Advent. And traditionally, this Sunday was considered a time to lighten up a little. A time when if you had taken on practices of spiritual disciplines or refraining from some treat for Advent, you might relax them a little. It's a day when in some places, rose pink vestments are worn instead of the deep purple or blue of the rest of the season which is why many Advent wreaths have a pink candle for this third Sunday of Advent. It's a day to look ahead to the joy on the horizon and do a little advance rejoicing now. And our scriptures give us some of that note of rejoicing today. We hear Zephaniah prophesying that God is going to bring the people home from exile and telling the people of Jerusalem to rejoice and exult. 
And then we hear St. Paul using that same word, writing to the young church in the city of Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. And as if once wasn't enough, he says, and again, I say, rejoice. Why can it be so hard for us to rejoice? One thing I wonder is if it's because we believe deep down, deep, deep down, that we have to earn our salvation, that we have to be good enough for God to love us or to have a place in this world. That we have to earn the right to exist. Both our Old and New Testament readings are very clear that whatever rejoicing we're doing is not about our performance. It's about God. It's about God showering blessings on us without any expectation of our participation. The good news of Jesus means that we know God not as a wrathful policeman hovering over our shoulder, ready to come down on us for any failure of perfection. We know God as a loving savior who's ready to save and forgive and bless. We couldn't make ourselves worthy of God's love if we tried. And our rule then is to receive, to give thanks, to rejoice. Children like Amy have an advantage in the business of rejoicing because they know they can't do life all on their own. And so children's are cha children are champions at receiving with joy. This is why we make such a fuss about kids at Christmas and why Christmas tends to be children's favorite time of year because children are experts on receiving a gift with rejoicing. Now you and I have been given a gift, salvation from evil and death, acceptance into God's kingdom, a gift there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn. And all we can do is joyfully accept it. Maybe this is why Jesus says it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you enter it like a little child. Now, of course, there are other reasons it can be hard to rejoice. Reasons that have to do not so much with an internal sense of unworthiness and more with the state of the world around us. And here's where children maybe have an unfair advantage over adults in the rejoicing business. Because when you're a child, your frame of reference can be smaller. And the adults in your life might try to shelter you from some of the things that they're worried about. But of course, adults carry around thoughts of things like climate change, racial injustice, things like Omicron variants or gun violence, things like inflation, things like conspiracy theories on social media. And these things are real. The world can be a dangerous place and the world can be a sorrowful place. And it can be easy to feel like rejoicing is a luxury we can't afford.
because the weight of the world is too much on our shoulders. This is where our scriptures can also help give us some perspective. Zephaniah's prophecy about Jerusalem being gathered back in and God rejoicing over the people with singing. This prophecy is being written during the exile. So all these good things about the people coming back to Jerusalem and God exulting over them haven't happened yet. Zephaniah is telling the people to rejoice not about all the good things that are happening around them, but to rejoice right in the middle of the bad things that are happening around them because they know that they're in God's hands and so is their future. And it's the same with St. Paul. This letter to the Philippians that he writes is the sunniest of all his letters. It's the only letter of Paul's that contains almost no criticism of the receiving congregation. He uses the words joy and rejoice something like 16 times in this letter. And he's writing it from prison. Paul has been put in chains for preaching Jesus. And yet he writes to the Philippians that even his imprisonment has had the good effect of spreading the word about Jesus among the soldiers who are guarding him. And he writes about how grateful he is that he's learned to be content with being well-fed or being hungry, with having plenty or having little. Paul will go on to be executed at the hands of the Roman Empire. And he knows full well that that's a distinct possibility, even as he writes these words of rejoicing. So he tells the Philippians to rejoice, not because of all the wonderful ease and worldly prosperity that following Jesus will bring them, but because the peace of God can sustain them and him through the worst and the best of anything this life can bring. So today, Gaudete Sunday, is a time for us to exercise our rejoicing muscles, to build them up. Not so we can be Pollyannas who ignore the real sorrows and dangers of the world, but so we can be Zephaniah's and St. Paul's who know how strong the love of God is present, even in the midst of those sorrows and dangers. And we know that God's love will never ultimately be defeated, even if we sometimes have to wait with patient endurance to see that day come. I remember a few years ago when I worked as a hospice chaplain visiting a patient I'll call Denise, who had a progressive neurological disorder and couldn't communicate and was mostly asleep. Even when she was awake, Denise was unable to engage with others and seemed unaware of what was going on around her. Her family would visit her sometimes, but she wouldn't seem to recognize them but her manner was placid and peaceful. And I remember thinking that Denise lived in something like an extended time of Advent, a time of patient waiting in a kind of darkness and night 
waiting for a release from a captivity, a release that for her would likely come only through her death from this life and her awakening into God's presence. The caregivers told me there was just one time when Denise had seemed to respond to something. Her adult son had brought her baby grandchild and lowered him to her face as she lay in bed. And she moved her lips up and kissed him. And I wonder if that kiss was somehow for Denise a way of rejoicing and a way of responding to the presence of a fellow human being as dependent and as fragile as she was, the presence of a child and as precious and beloved by God as she was. Advent is a time of waiting, a time of simplicity, a time when we're invited to let ourselves be stripped back to the essentials, a time to put off the pride and anxiety and false humility that allows us to pretend that we are something sufficient to ourselves. It's a time to acknowledge our dependence on one another and on God and to let ourselves be like little children, to be loved by God and to love in return, and to revel in the simplicity of what it means to receive our salvation as a gift. After all, Jesus himself came among us as a child. And as we prepare to celebrate the gift of the infant Jesus, maybe we will learn anew what it is to be God's babies, God's children.